This podcast is brought to you by Label Sessions, the global platform that connects you to the best advice from the most interesting people. In this exclusive series, entrepreneur and creative leader Andy Norman takes us through his views on creativity, curiosity, and guts. To find out more about Andy, listen to the Q&A listed in the show notes. To find out more about Label Sessions, visit labelsessions.com. I have a confession to make. Just as I sat down to write this podcast, it's not all ad-libbed, you know. Just as I sat down, I experienced a major... It was so severe, I seriously thought about bailing on this podcast after only two episodes. Yep, throwing in the towel. Here's why. I had just read Thomas Friedman's article in the New York Times about ChatGPT4. In it, he said, well, more like warned ominously, he said, because of this AI marvel, and I quote, everything everywhere is going to change all at once. This was followed a day or so later by the social media kerfuffle over the deep fake pic of Pope Francis in a white puffer jacket, an AI-generated image that went viral, obviously. So all this led to a most awful conclusion, especially for a guy who teaches and podcasts about how to be creative. That conclusion? Generative AI is about to obliterate human creativity. Thus, this podcast is screwed. Not the best of realizations. Perhaps now you understand the panic attack. So to alleviate said panic, I googled how and if an AI model can replace human creative endeavors. After too many differences of opinions, I decided to consult the source itself and asked ChatGPT4 if it's going to replace human creativity. Here is its response. My purpose is to assist humans in various tasks, including generating content and aiding in creative endeavors. However, I do not have the ability to replace human creativity entirely. Human creativity is driven by experiences, emotions, and perspectives that are unique to each individual. While I can generate ideas and suggestions, I cannot replicate the depth and complexity of human creativity. Hmm, quite comforting, other than the qualifier of entirely, I guess. I went further and asked ChatGPT what it would say to help calm creative workers and artists who fear that it will eventually replace them. By using AI to streamline processes, generate new ideas, and improve workflow, creative workers and artists can focus on what they do best, creating work that is innovative, inspiring, and impactful. While I can generate text that appears to be unique, all of my responses are based on the patterns and data that I have been trained on. This means that I may not be able to generate truly original content that is not based on existing patterns or data. In short, there is no need to fear that AI will replace human creativity. Instead, we can view AI as a tool that can help us achieve our creative goals more efficiently and effectively, while still preserving the unique qualities that make us human. Good answer. But... Somehow... This verbiage kind of reminds me of a famous 1962 episode of the TV show The Twilight Zone, where Earth was, and I quote, visited by this race of benevolent aliens called the Canamits. 
Their motive in coming to Earth, they said, was to provide humanitarian aid and that their advanced technology would solve all of mankind's problems, from famine to energy to war. Why, the Canimates were so subservient and good-natured, they even had a guidebook to outline their intentions. It was entitled, To Serve Man. So, mankind trusted, welcomed, and integrated these aliens as friends and saviors, and everything was just hunky-dory until a cryptographer translated the pages inside the Canimit volume and realized to her horror that the book to serve man was, wait for it, a cookbook! Yikes! So I don't know how much I should trust ChatGPT's answers about its intentions, but there's one thing that's immutable. The horse has left the barn, the genie's out of the bottle, and there's no turning back. Well, that's three things, so sue me. This whole what do we do with ChatGPT debate reminds me of my first year in high school, which was also known as the last year of the slide rule. The what? Let me explain. Despite the proliferation of relatively inexpensive pocket calculators back then, calculators were banned from use in math class. Instead, we had to use this multi-level sliding ruler where after enough pushing and pulling and straining to see a compressed collection of minuscule numbers, the answer to a simple multiplication problem may, and I repeat, may be found in the middle of a vertical line thinner than a human hair. And you know what? It was even more difficult and complicated than I'm making it sound right here. The tool to make things easy was right at our fingertips, yet the man made us suffer through old technology just because they were afraid of it. So ChatGPT in specific, and I guess AI in general, are galloping tools looking for things to fix. As Peggy Noonan wrote gloomily in the Wall Street Journal, Slow this thing down. We are playing with the hottest thing since the discovery of fire. But no amount of warnings or open letters signed by digital luminaries urging a development slowdown can stop the AI train right now. Perhaps tech guru Shelley Palmer, look him up folks, perhaps Shelley Palmer said it best when he wrote, No technology has ever excited me more or caused me more pause than AI. In truth, it scares the hell out of me. Frankly, if it doesn't both excite and scare the hell out of you, you don't know enough about it. Anyway, in the last episode of the CC&G podcast, I promised you four easy steps or tactics for business creativity. And I was scared that they were no longer valid in a world where ChatGPT is the tool du jour. Well, after reflection, I excitedly realized that they are even more valid given that AI provides a new way to go deeper and farther much faster. So climb in, make room for ChatGPT, and let's meet the Fab Four. Number one. The first tactic is one of human transformation. In other words, you're going to become a camera. The notion here is that despite all the brouhaha over instant language generation, the world now speaks visually. Thanks to smartphones and social media apps, pictures and images have supplanted words as communication tools. These days, the difference between success and failure is whether or not you have done something photo-worthy and subsequently share-worthy. If people share your imagery, they are basically doing your marketing and your work for you. Sadly, though, not everything is photo-worthy, yet that doesn't stop the internet from being besieged by literal photo bombs. 
So the next time you pull out the old iPhone for business purposes, ask yourself, would someone really want to see a picture or video of this? If the answer is yes, then shoot it. But if the answer is no, redesign whatever it may be. Let me try and illustrate with a couple of examples, which is kind of weird, isn't it? Giving visual examples via audio, but I digress. A few years ago, I gave a speech on creativity in Atlanta. And at the end of the speech, a woman came up to me, told me she ran a small hotel, which catered primarily to a business clientele who would leave the premises early in the morning. She said she wanted to do something to attract attention and was thinking of providing fresh baked cookies. Nah, I said, been done. Fresh cookies were the trademark of the Doubletree Hotel at the time. What about if I served free hot coffee in the lobby, she countered. Oi, I said, not only has that been done to death, but has been resurrected and died again. But then the idea hit me. If you want to serve hot coffee, I said, why don't you do it in a place where nobody expects it, like the elevator itself? So four months later, I got a letter from the woman thanking me for the idea, along with lots of pictures of people taking pictures with the in-elevator barista. The other example is of an unlikely tourist attraction in North Vancouver, a sign to remind you to pick up after your dog. Now, we've all seen signage telling us to clean up after our dogs. Usually, these signs are all business, namely a silhouette of a dog pooing in a red circle with a line through it, or simply a sign saying, pick up your dog's poo. But the town of North Vancouver launched something that became so frequently photographed, it was copied by other municipalities all over the world. It's a two-parter that reads on top, Attention, dog guardians, pick up after your dogs, thank you. But under that was also written, attention dogs, grr, bark, woof, good dog. Photo worthy? Huh, no shit. Number two. The premise of this tactic is basic. In order to be creative, you need to see things differently. Easy to say, hard to do. You need some help. So the best way to see things differently is to do so literally, namely to wear virgin contact lenses. That's tactic number two. Virgin contact lenses are a powerful tool. It's a mindset that forces you to see the common every day for the first time. The problem we often face is that we see things so many times that they fade into the background. Doesn't matter what or who it is. Their style, design, uniqueness, specialness fades away like the Beatles on Hey Jude. But virgin contact lenses, the art of seeing something again for the first time, adds a layer of wonderment to the mundane, which is one of the underlying themes of this podcast itself. I don't care what it is, a dishwasher, a piece of asparagus, a bar of soap, a snowfall, everything is goddamn amazing when you see it for the first time. It kind of reminds me of the lead character in the rock opera, Tommy. Please tell me you know the rock opera, Tommy. If not, suffice to say, the lead character is deaf, blind, and nonverbal until he's cured. Anyway, the line that reverberates and exemplifies this tactic is when Tommy's doctors tell his parents, imagine through the shock from isolation when he suddenly can hear and speak and see. I would sing it, but they ain't paying me that well for this. One example of virgin contact lenses comes from an Indiegogo campaign company called Zero Degree, which came up with duo dice, a new spin, so to speak, on a pair of dice. Unfortunately, I wasn't at their creative sessions, but along the way, 
I suspect someone must have asked, why do the two dice have to be separate? Thus, the dual dice concept, a standard numbered die inside a bigger, clear plastic one. Google it to be really impressed. Then there's Henry Ford. Despite being a nasty racist, he was also renowned for inventing the assembly line, which allowed for mass production of the automobile. You know where he got his inspiration? It was during a visit to a Chicago beef slaughterhouse in 1913. He was incredibly impressed how a steer could be de-skinned and butchered so rapidly, leaving only a bare-boned carcass at the end. Seeing this, he thought to himself, hmm, what if I reverse the process and assemble instead of disassemble? And the rest is not only history, but provided him with enough wealth for many a steak dinner. My favorite example, though, comes from the breakfast cereal Shreddies, which has been a morning time staple from Post Cereals for over eight decades. Made from just four ingredients, the cereal's slogan, good, good, whole wheat Shreddies, and its simple square shape have become somewhat iconic. That is until a few years ago when Hunter Somerville, a then a 26-year-old intern at the Ogilvy and Mather ad agency, was looking for a new angle, literally, to market this old standard cereal. What he did was rotate a shreddy 90 degrees and voila! He had invented new, improved diamond shreddies. Shreddies with, and I quote, a whole new level of geometric superiority. Sounds loopy, right? But the ad agency ran with the concept and even held focus groups where people raved that the new diamond version tasted better and had, and I quote again, more punch than the old square version. The ultimate shreddy shred, Somerville's virgin vision was a finalist for the Golden Lion at that year's Con Advertising Awards. See me. Conventional wisdom states that two wrongs don't make a right, but the CCNG podcast is conventionality's graveyard. Here, we kick convention in the stones. Thus, the notion of this tactic is one of creativity math. The equation, then, for creativity is two or more wrongs added together make a right. For those of you not mathematically inclined, this means that sometimes the best ideas are not composed of compatible elements, but of those wildly incongruent. Steve Jobs of Blessed Memory used to say that most invention comes from observing disparate things and seeing an unexpected relationship between them. What does he mean? What do I mean? Here are two examples. When I say jewelry ads, what pops into your mind right now other than the jewelry? I would suspect the models wearing them. They are usually quite stunning, but relatively vapid and vacant in their facial expressions. So to stand out in a crowded marketplace a few years back, the Italian design house Pianagonda hired the requisite stunners, but instead of trying to be sexy, had them make grotesque kitty faces, you know, cross their eyes, stick out their tongues and such, looking like that. Insanely expensive jewelry sold insanely. The other two wrongs make a right example comes from a friend of mine named Carolyn Lausson. 
in her role as chief marketing officer at the dairy company Natrell, she tried to shake up the staid and uninspired dairy world by changing the packaging of milk. Again, we have no visuals here, but picture your standard milk carton, if you will, usually washed out colors, pastoral illustrations of a farmer's field, some cows, perhaps a wholesome child and a parent sharing a fine glass of white liquid together. So what Caroline did was change the packaging radically and made the primary color black. Basic, cold, hard, black. Her colleagues and bosses were aghast. Black? Black? Th 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 that's the color of death, not the color of a fine, family-friendly, wholesome product like ours. But Caroline persisted and put her job on the line to make her point. The end result was a product that punched you between the eyes as you entered the supermarket's dairy aisle, which led to a sizable increase in sales and corresponding market share for Natrell, which led to Caroline being named Canada's Marketer of the Year in 2015, which is one big right, don't you think? Number four. To close things out in a big way, this is a tactic I call little things mean a lot. In our world of madness and uncertainty, it's not necessarily the big moves that make a difference, but the small ones. The turbulence of our times often makes big moves really difficult, but it allows for small, seemingly inconsequential ones to stand out. Big, big time. Big moves take time and committees and buy-in from legal and so on and so forth and a thousand other hurdles that make people say, screw this, rather than move forward. But small moves are under your control and usually under the radar, thus effective and disproportionately powerful. P.S. I can't believe I said thus four times already in this episode, but I digress. Here are a couple of silly little examples to prove my point. Other than its skiing, the town of Vail, Colorado is also known for its fine cuisine. Some of America's top restaurants freckle the base of its mountain runs. Yet when I was there a few years back, I couldn't escape the buzz about a place called the French Deli. I thought it was some sort of exquisite gourmet restaurant, but when I went to check it out, it came just as it was advertised. It was a deli slash cafe run by a French family. What made everyone talk about it, though, was a small hen-shaped blackboard, which the owners used to mark its opening hours. What made everyone talk about it, though, was a small hen-shaped, yes, hen as in cluck cluck, hen-shaped blackboard, which the owners used to mark its opening hours. So what made it so special amongst Vale's wealthy and jaded clientele? Well, it said it opened every morning at 7.44 a.m. and closed at 4.01 p.m. Yep, <laughs> that's it. A simple tweak of standard opening hours became a mountainside talk point and an Instagram favorite. Ooh la la. The other one is kind of old-fashioned, but makes the point nonetheless. Back in the day when companies paid by check, I realized that you can print just about anything on them. So when I was running the Just for Last Comedy Festival, I put some sort of snarky remark just above the signature line of all of our checks, and I changed it every month. I did the same when I ran the prediction gaming company called Play the Future. Every one of our checks there said, we predict this check won't bounce. Again, not a massive move, but one I had under my total control, under the radar, and easy to implement. The end result was that our checks became items of conversation 
and photos, which brings us all the way back to tactic number one, which was be a camera for those of you with short memories. So to conclude, people believe that when it comes to creativity, the most important human organ is the brain, but it's not. The most important creative human organ is the stomach. More precisely, your guts, or as we call it around here, the G word. People can think and write and post it and PowerPoint and prompt all they want, but eventually they will have to stand up and actually do something. And doing takes guts. People all over the world listen to podcasts, attend conferences and classes, read books, take notes, and come the next day, they're back in the same old places with the same old habits, doing the same old things. They let the certainty of sameness win again and again and again. But I know you are different. Why, you've listened right up to the end of this episode, for Christ's sakes. So I urge you to do something different. I urge you to stop using your head and start using your guts and do. Before I go, if you've dug what you heard or if you hated it, let me know at Label Sessions on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, or LinkedIn. And although I know I shouldn't, I will read every comment and promise to respond to those without spelling, grammar, punctuation, or other such nagging errors. So, until next episode, CC and G later. This podcast is brought to you by Label Sessions, the global platform that connects you to the best advice from the most interesting people. Around the world, we work with brands to connect their people to true leaders, just like the people you hear on this podcast. For live sessions of advice, mentorship, or sometimes to collaborate on ideas. To find out more, visit labelsessions.com and book in for a demo with our team.